podcast about leadership, management, and the eternal struggle to find consistently good tools for audio recording over the internet. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Why are so few of the rest of us celebrating Festivus? I think you're a little early, but... Um... Uh, today on the show, we are talking with Linda Lennon, Industry CIO and Chief Administrative Officer. Thanks for Welcome. being on the show with us, Linda. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And then, as usual, we will dive right in. And uh, please, beginning anywhere far back you would like, uh, tell us about your path to leadership. Tell us how you got to where you are now. Wow. So um, I am not one of those people who had a plan when I was 17 or 27. <laughs> It is funny when you do, I, I have met people and talked to people who were like, yeah, I, I talked to this person when I was in college. And then I read this book about, you know, seven habits, highly successful people. And I read this thing and I made a plan and I did this. And then I, you know, I'm, I'm on step nine out of 15 in my career. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I just feel like I stumbled through it. And <laughs> who are those people? <laughs> and here I am. Right. Um, and, and that was not me. Uh, so uh, I, I always kind of find it interesting when, when people want to hear my story. So, um, yeah, I grew up, uh, kind of, you know, middle-class family in the Midwest and, uh, with a, uh, an awesome father, but who was not the best entrepreneur. Uh, and, and when I say that, I mean that he, he never made a, you know, he, he had a number of kind of, you know, forays on his own from real estate uh -huh. to, to different things. And, and, um, you know, so money was always really tight in my family. Um, but, uh, I managed to, you know, I'm the youngest of five kids. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's it pretty interesting, right? I started college when I was 17. Um, but I didn't actually graduate till I was 39. Um, oh, <laughs> so, yeah, I had, 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 uh, you know, kind of did the traditional thing. I, I actually went to the community college. I'm one of those people, right? I, I went to the community college for a couple of years because at the time my older brother was, you know, a senior when I was a freshman, he was a senior in college and at a, you know, kind of expensive school. And so, you know, realizing my folks weren't going to be able to, you know, help that much uh, and afford that much at, at once, I, I, um, I went to the community college did that for a couple of years, transferred to University of Iowa, did that for a few years, um, ran into to some kind of, you know, I would say distraction issues there, didn't graduate. Oh, uh, that but then sounds ended like up a story. Job, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you have a full-time job and you're working <laughs> and you're like, wow, I'd really like to go back and finish at some point. And, and at the time it was not the easiest thing to try to do, you know, when you're living in a different town and all those kinds of things. So anyways, fast forward, um, figured out a way to do that. Um, graduated really with the intention to get my master's. <laughs> it was kind of a funny stand story there. I was hope I was really hoping um, you were going to say you were actually a full-time student from 17 to 39, but this makes more sense. It's just yeah, not no. quite as good of a story, but <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. no, yeah. no, it sounds like there's stories in there. I was curious about the, uh, one thing, what, what were you studying at the time? And did you have a good experience transferring from, uh, from community college to a uh, state university? You know, I think that's a great question. Um, I initially started as a, um, I, I did, I, I think I made up change majors like six times and I'm not joking. Wow. I don't actually remember what they all were. So I remember, 
I was going to be a pharmacist. I remembered science and math ed. Um, I did actuarial science for a while, and, oh. and and that was actually the one that I was closest to when I was done. I was going to be a, a pilot, so I I transferred to a school one time that only had aviation careers. So I also went to like two or three schools. Oh wow! <clears throat> or maybe three or four schools in there, and and um, and then. You know, so there was a, a wide and varied group, but, you know, fairly technical, right? Mm-hmm. Pharmacy, science ed, actuarial science, those kinds of things, uh, math and science based, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of took a while to find my path. Um, and if I were, I'm, I'm in an introspective part of my life because I'm actually taking a sabbatical mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what's that next thing. And I'm 54, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I think that that's a never, you know, one thing I, I think is an, an interesting thing for people to hear, especially younger folks is you may never finish that kind of, you know, what do I want to do yeah. later? What do I want to, you know, the, the, the trite, you know, what do I want to do when I grow up thing? Um, and it took me certainly a while when I was that age. And I have a, I happen to have a nephew right now who's 22 and sort of in that same place, right? He's not quite sure what he wants to do. And he's, he's technically a senior in college, you know? So um, yeah. now what? Uh, and so I think that that does take, you know, a, some folks uh, a while to figure out. And even, you know, yeah, I'm not sure you actually ever really yeah. figure it out. You know, you, you may have a degree that says one thing, but that doesn't mean that's kind of what you do because technically I have a finance degree. Mm-hmm. I bet that's super um, useful. I've actually never done that. <laughs> As part of my career, but yeah. And then I, I actually did, once I graduated, I, then I actually um, went on and I got my MBA um, in an executive MBA program, which I really recommend for people, you know, kind of mid-career to do something like that. Um, oh, not and, that specific uh, one necessarily, but to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think the programs are good because it gives you a better, um, you know, an MBA is sort of a mini introduction to a lot of different things in business, right? So you're looking at marketing, you're looking at legal, you're looking a lot at finance, mm-hmm. um, but you, you get an, you know, so as a technology manager, um, I was a VP of IT when I was doing that. I couldn't have a conversation with somebody in marketing. I thought those people were crazy, you know? Um, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, yeah. you past tense. Yeah, what you thought those people were. Uh, Rachel's in marketing services. This is yeah, exactly. first time ever. So, so now though, it's like, you know, then once I was able to, you know, have some courseware and talk to people in my program who were in marketing and talk to professors, I was like, oh, now I understand what they're asking for, right? And it, it gave you not only the ability to get the context, but the, you know, be able to have an intelligent conversation with them about what they're really trying to solve as a business person. And because before, quite frankly, I had a bias kind of against that. So, so anyways, the MBAs I think are a great sort of intro piece to a lot of different parts, you know, parts of, of, uh, of business, because, you know, the reality is most technology doesn't happen for its own sake, right? It's it's happening because there's a business need or an organizational need that it yeah. needs to fill. Yeah, people do like to think about, you know, designers and engineers and scientists working for some sort of more larger good. Uh, but it's, it's typically yeah. not that way. It's typically like we have found a problem to solve uh, that people mm-hmm. will pay to have the solution. So, yeah, yeah. It's- and even... Even if it's for a larger good, I think that the the thing I would say, I've, I've actually been, um, I've had the honor, honor to 
to serve on the board of directors of a couple of nonprofits. And one of the things that in that context is also important is where's the best way for us to spend our resources because the resources are typically very limited. Um, And so you're still looking at it from a business perspective about what's the most effective, what's the most efficient, how do we get there? Just because it's a greater good piece doesn't mean that there's unending resources and it's actually probably the opposite. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now to go back to some of the stuff you were talking about, uh, about knowing what you were planning to do, what you did you did you ever did you feel bad about that at the time? Did you feel like you were thrashing around, or were you like, oh, I'll get there eventually? No, I totally felt like I was thrashing around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that um, you know because I think people place that sort of pressure on you when you're 19 and you're supposed to know what you want to do when you're 60. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, they, put, they place that pressure on 10 year olds. You know, what do you want to do? Yeah. When you grow up, right. Right. Totally. But, but could you have, oh, finish your thought. Sorry. No, I think, I think it's, it's a, it's a huge stressor to people. And I, yeah. you know, I see people, you know, um, kind of, you know, challenged with that question. Now I know I was challenged with it and, and I still kind of, you know, feel like it's something that I, um, you know, it, it literally right now I'm on, a, I'm on a sabbatical. I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. And it, what I do next may not look anything like what I've done in the past. And I'm, you know, I'm having those conversations with myself and reading a lot and trying to, to reflect and have some good alone time um, to, to consider those and doing some journaling and things like that to really kind of get to what I want to have. Because quite frankly, I'm hoping that my next chapter is, is, I wouldn't say my last working chapter, but it's my maybe my last income producing chapter. Mm, that's um, so tempting, isn't it? <laughs> right. And so, you know, that's kind of the thing is I want it to be very worthwhile. And, you know, um, I, I think that technology can be used and is used for much, much good. It can be used for much, much more good. Um, and so how do you get that? How do you figure out what that is? Because there's an unending supply of good ideas so how do you focus and get, get to that place where you know that this is the one that's really going to speak to your heart and utilize your talents mm-hmm. and um, be meaningful for you? Yeah. Well, it, and I want to I go back to the thrashing around a little bit. I mean, you're still a little bit thrashing around. And I, yeah. I almost wonder if, like, I'm curious, you, you make it to CIO of a very large company. Uh, which, you know, you, you've done, um, was thrashing around part of the reason for you getting there? I mean, if you'd sat down at 17 and said, you know what I want to do is be a CIO of a really large company. Do you think you would have gotten there? I probably would have gotten there faster. Oh, really? That's interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I probably would have gotten there faster, but I think that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been as effective, right? Because I, I believe that, your yeah your your experiences inform who you are and your perspective on decision making and on what you value yeah and i think that you know i value you know people with with that bring a lot of um diverse thought and coming from diverse backgrounds and i i value inclusiveness and collaboration um as a leader um i have had the the ability to work with people with a wide variety of, I would say, intellectual backgrounds, as well as just sort of work backgrounds. And I, um, I think that I get, have gotten most frustrated when I have 
needed to work with folks who didn't value the same things that I did, right? They didn't value the human experience. They didn't value the experiences that somebody else brought to the table. They were kind of very single-minded in, you know, um, that there's one answer to each problem that we're solving. And, you know, I look at it and say, there's, you know, in a infinite number of ways to get to a good answer and, and perhaps the right answer. And it's, you know, maybe, you know, not having the, maybe sometimes having the more securitous route gets you a better answer because it's informed you more about the greater world. Yeah. yeah the context is important. Yeah. I, I do think yeah. that's, a, that's super critical is this, you know, taking the securitous route, you had all these experiences that have broadened your perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's very important. Yeah. And so you were, you went from, uh, to, from not quite finishing college to your first full-time job. And what was that? So that's hilarious. Um, I actually was, uh, I worked um, in a, um, for, um, for Oscar Mayer Foods in a, a meatpacking plant. Oh yeah. Um, as, as a manager of people in the meatpackers union And the Meatpackers Union is right over there in terms of sort of, you know, big union stuff. It's, it's right near the Teamsters. Mm -hmm. Uh So as a, you know, 23 year old, you know, kind of wet behind the ears, you know, young woman, right. I'm managing these gruff old men mostly in a meatpacking plant. That sounds terrifying. The the jungle. It kind of was, right. I mean, but I got through it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. Talk, it was, it, and it wasn't like culture clash because I grew up with, you know, in middle-class America. And so that wasn't like it, but it was just very different in terms of, you know, I had this, you know, base, basically a degree I was almost done. I had like 110 credits or something um, of a statistics degree and, um, you know, was going to be, you know, my, my intended major at the time was actuarial science. I didn't finish that. Um and so that was, you know, a lot of stats, probability and things like that. And so I, the, what I got into there was at the time there was a big push in, in manufacturing around um, W. Edwards Deming and this notion of statistical process control oh, yeah. and how you manage that kind of stuff. And so I was, I had the right background for that. So that's how I got into that part of management in, in that, that part. So I worked for Oscar Mayer for a couple of years Um I, um, to back up a minute, right. I was, I was born in Michigan. My family moved to Illinois when I was three. I grew up in Illinois, went to college in Iowa. I was working in Madison, Wisconsin. I was in my early twenties and I went, yeah, I don't, I kind of had checked the Midwest box. Um, (laughs) I would like to live someplace else. And my brother, one of my brothers at the time was living in Denver and I had the opportunity when we were growing up, one of the great great experiences I had that I don't know that I appreciated at the time, but I certainly appreciate it now was despite not having much money, my family did the whole, you know, Griswold family vacation every summer, but we didn't go to like Disneyland or anything or Disney world. We went to national parks. Um, and we, we had the chance when I was a kid, we also had family in Texas and Michigan and different places. So we always took these, you know, summertime road trips and got to see, like, I got to see the mountains in Colorado and we got to Texas, like, you know, went to, so I remember going to like Mount Rushmore and, and, you know, places like that. And so I really developed a Mm -hmm. love for the mountains, but also just other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, and I knew I had friends who never had the chance to do that. And I still have friends who never really left the town I grew up in. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I appreciated so that. So Denver for more meatpacking? Yeah. No. So I, I actually, um, I decided I was going to quit and move to Denver. And the first job I got when I moved to Denver was I, um, I worked for uh, Jolly Rancher Candies <laughs> then in a similar capacity oh. to what I did at, at Oscar Mayer. Um, although the people at Jolly Rancher were uh, quite quite a bit less gruff, <laughs> they the were sweeter. Would you say? Oh, Kendall, yes, yeah. sweeter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Come on, so, I'm really proud of that. I'm just going to mic drop and walk out right now. Good job, um, good job, Kendall. Yeah. I, <laughs> okay, okay. So keep going. So what? I, I so what, my time at the hot dog factory, though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, that was that was good. It's almost like you've made a hot dog joke before. Um, <laughs> so wait. So it, so similar thing. Yeah. How did you get from this to CIO? And I, I'm sorry. You know, I yeah. take your time still, but but I, I sure. do not see. I see now why if you knew where you were going, you would have gotten there faster because right, you probably exactly. would not have stopped off at the meatpacking or the Jolly Rancher. Right, or, or a candy factory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so how I got there was I, I worked at Jolly Rancher for a year or two. I can't remember quite frankly. Um, and uh, and got kind of tired of just what, you know, 90% of my job or 80% of my job wasn't this statistical stuff, right? It was signing people's timesheets and approving people vacation pay and, you know, whatever, and making sure that, um, you know, people had the supplies they needed to, you know, get the job done that day in the factory, um, which wasn't as interesting to me. And so my, a very small portion of my time is actually spent doing the, the math and the stats and the stuff like that, that I like doing. Um, and so I, when I left there, um, they were, they were downsizing and, uh, I, I got laid off, um, side, side note to that as a leader, um, I, I, I believe to this day that the plant manager laid me off, be, not because I was like the newest manager necessarily, because it actually wasn't, um, but because, you know, I had this, you know, I had the stats background and I was providing information or the, actually to the operations manager. So I was providing this information directly to the plant manager who was one up one level above. And the operations manager didn't necessarily agree with the fact that they had a statistician essentially uh-huh. working on manufacturing stuff because I was, you know, making recommendations that they change some things that he wasn't interested in changing. Like keeping people on the straight um, and narrow. <laughs> yeah. So there was, there was a little bit of a yeah. political thing there. Um, and that happens. Um, unfortunately. Um, so, so from there, I, I looked at it and I thought, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to manage people like that because quite frankly, I felt like in that level, and this is going to sound bad, but it, it was kind of babysitting, right? I was like, I said, I was tiny, signing timesheets, who showed up today, who didn't show up today. Do they have the boxes they need? Do they have the wrappers they need? You know, whatever. Do they get their bathroom breaks? Um, do they, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that, yeah, yeah. you know, in a factory. Totally. Um, so I said, I don't want to do that anymore. And I, I um, then decided I was going to do something more like technical writing. And, but I didn't have any experience with it, but I was good at that kind of stuff. And I knew I was good. So I got a job. Uh, the closest thing I could find was sort of a, um, a temp job um, is, is like a technical indexer for a company that published 
catalogs and, and, you know, it's sort of interesting now because this is, you know, of course, pre-internet stuff. Uh-huh. So you, there was a company that you could buy indices and catalogs from, you know, for like commercial industrial purposes. And so I worked as a technical indexer for them. Wow. Um, and, and it was, if you know, talk about fascinating things that probably don't exist anymore as careers. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and it was technically a, like a, I was a, you know, they had lexicographers there and I had to look up what that meant. That sounds awesome, that. actually. <laughs> right. And it, it, as a word person, right. I think that you would enjoy that. Yeah. So that was very, the first piece there. And then I got a job, um, working for a marketing communications, small marketing communications firm in Boulder, um, that whose clients were in the tech space, mostly IBM, but they worked at the sometime, I think for Xerox and some other, um, large tech companies. Um, and this is like around 1990, I'm going to guess. Um, and so I did that and was, and got, that was my kind of first foray into writing. And so I got the job. So I was writing customer reference stories on IBM, uh, hardware and software. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for a few couple years there. Um, while I was there, their kind of one IT guy quit. And um, so they didn't have anybody in there. You know, there's a server, right? And they're not sure if it's being backed up and whatever. And it was in the, they were using Lotus Notes oh as goodness. the collaboration tool oh. and the database <laughs> stuff, right? And so I kind of raised my hand and said, if you send me to a class, I'll try to figure this stuff out because they didn't have anybody else, right? And so that was the start of my career in tech. So wow. that was just the, you know, by, by, uh, by good fortune that the IT guy quit <laughs> and I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to raise my hand. So, um, I did, and they sent me to a class and on, you know, Lotus notes administration, and they hooked me up with the consultants who they'd used to help them get that system going in the first place. And, and then, uh, and then that was the, uh, the beginning of my, uh, my IT career. Like how to think about software. Wow. That's where you learned about that. All on-prem stuff. No, Lotus Notes. Lotus no, Notes uh, is the reason she got into software. I know. I'm, I am also stymied by that because <laughs> I, uh, I, I that's making me pretty soggy with nostalgia. Um, <laughs> but, wow. Lotus Notes is your, like, oh, this is where I want to be. That's so painful. Right. <laughs> Right, right. So, yeah. Now you look back on it, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah. So, so at that point, yeah. you were you were you were writing. You had been writing like case studies for folks. Um, right. Were you? Did you manage anyone in between the time that you were uh, managing folks at the at the candy plant and the meatpacking plant? But and, and no. to then, okay. So that the back yeah. then was your first introduction to quote managing people, and I use that term light, lightly because. It sounds like, you know, you didn't really have much opportunity to do anything around, you know, career development. What's your career development like at the meatpacking plant? I don't know. Um, yeah, but there, at, there really isn't any. <laughs> I can understand why you would think this is kind of boring and, and like babysitting. Um, but at this point, then you moved into IT and then what happened there? Yeah, so then I, I, I did that job. I think was that I was at that company a total of three years. Um, and uh, at the time, there was this new notion out there where you could hire a company to host your systems and your software. What? And it was called ASP, right? (laughs) Application (laughs) Service Provider. Um, And so there was, um, at the time then, US West, which is a telco that died long ago, 
But U.S. West had a research and development division based in Boulder as well that was getting putting you know gonna gonna do this right. So they were gonna they had the data center in which happened to be in Minneapolis, but their R and D folks and their product development folks were in Boulder down the street from where I was, and um, so they. I, I got a job there um, working on, you know, sort of the, how do you build a framework for hosting somebody else's applications? And so I did that for a few years. Um, and then uh, right when US West was getting ready to be, get acquired by what was then Quest, um, then there was this dot-com that, you know, hired me um, to run their data centers. Um, and so I worked there, um, and then that balloon bust, uh, broke, whatever. Um, and, uh, I, I got laid off from that because, you know, that's what happened in the dot-com space. Uh, and, uh, so then I, and, you know, in the, in, I think I was unemployed for the most part for about nine months. Um, in the, in the meantime, right. In order to get a little bit of money and pay some of the bills, I, um, I got a job at home Depot in the garden center. Oh, was that fun? Which, which was actually kind of fun, right? Yeah. AM Sunday morning staff meetings, Ugh. um, were not fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of a good way to, you know, spend a couple months and, you know, work, you know, part-time in the garden center in the spring, right? At Home Depot. <laughs> Perfect. So that was kind of fun. Very, very different. Um, and then I got a call from um, a company that had a partnership with um, the dot-com I was working for. And they said, hey, uh, we need somebody to run our um, group of infrastructure folks networks and servers and we have a bunch of you know locations around the u.s um and really around the world but this is for an america's kind of role so mostly in america but some in you know latin america and, and uh, south america and you know why don't you come talk to us about that and so i interviewed with that company um which was a large global uh civil and, and environmental engineering firm and got that job uh, but it was it was sort of an interesting deal because the IT group was sort of uh, a separate division uh, of the company and then the, the 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 parent company had to purchase our IT services from this separate company that was wholly owns a wholly owned subsidiary oh, uh-huh. um, so that was a fairly interesting way to do that and after a year of that structure then the parent company kind of dissolved the the way that that was structured and brought everybody inside or brought most of the people inside because um, there were people who were kind of externally facing and internally facing. And I was on the internally facing side, which was really corporate IT. It was just had a different sort of name. Um, so that was kind of the first piece of corporate IT stuff. And I, I had the chance there to, to experience some things. So I worked in the America's group and then they globalized IT. And then I had the chance to work in the global IT stuff. And then I did, IT strategy for a few years. And so I was there about eight years. And um, one day I thought it was kind of weird. My boss, who was the CIO, came to me and said, hey, um, I read this. I, I, somebody sent me this. There's a job description for a CIO at a smaller company. Um, and when I read this, it's a really technical job description. Um, you need to know all this stuff and I'm just not technical, but you know, I, I read this and thought maybe you would be a really good fit. And huh. I thought to myself, yeah, that's weird that my boss is giving me a job. Yeah. 
for another job and I read it and it was this company in San Diego. And I was like, well, I live in Colorado and I don't understand that, you know, whatever. And kind of read it and was like, oh, they're using Novell technology. And like, I don't know Novell. And plus they're going out of business anyways. So mm-hmm. you know, why would I do that? Um, and so I had that job description and um, uh, really kind of didn't really give it a lot of thought. And then about a week or two later, I got laid off. <laughs> oh, dang. So she was trying to help me out. Um, yeah. And I wasn't kind of catching all the, the smoke signals there. Yeah. So, um, so then I, I got laid off and I went back and I found the job description she had handed me and and, uh, and started to pursue it, realized I actually had a former colleague who worked at that company and reached out to her and said, hey, are you guys hiring a CIO? I heard you were hiring a CIO. And is this the company you're at? And it was like, yep, this is where I am. And you need to come here because we need you be- desperately. So that's cool. So that was my uh, that was uh, actually 10 years ago uh, this fall. Well, so uh, I want to ask Linda, what's what is it like being a VP of IT or a CIO at, at one of these really, really large? I mean, these are like two thousand, four thousand person companies. You know, what what does your day to day look like? I imagine it's not saying, um, "Hey, this is the tech we're going to build" or things like that. It's probably more, you know, keeping bad things from happening. Or, I mean, what's what does it actually, what's the day-to-day actually look like at that level in this big of an organization? You know, that's a great question. I would say it's very, it's, it's incredibly varied, right? Because there you go from, sure. um, yeah, what is, what is the tech we're going to build? Um, and how does it fit into our corporate strategy? You know, what is our corporate strategy and what, you know, therefore, you know, what do we need to do from our group? What do we need to be building? What do we need to be buying? What do we need to be sunsetting and shutting down, you know, what, how are we going to spend our money and, and make those decisions? So you've got that. And then you turn around and there's like, you know, the, Oh crap moment, because there's some sort of a, um, you know, potential security situation happening right, that you have to deal with yeah. urgently. Um, or you have to make sure that the people who are dealing with it are actually dealing with it urgently, um, make people aware of it. So you're, you're dealing with, you know, maybe a little bit of, you know, very, um, time sensitive, urgent issues. Um, and then, then you're, you know, having conversations with people on pretty much a constant basis. Right. So I would, um, I would have, uh, for my direct reports as a CIO, I met with each of them once a week, one-on-one for anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes. And then I had a weekly leadership meeting, which would go anywhere from 30 to 90 minutes, depending on how many people were in the meeting. And that's just to make sure people are collaborating with each other that, you know, kind of this team knows what that team's working on. Um, and if there's, you know, a, one, a lot of big pieces is resource sharing, right? So it's like, I, you know, so example, you know, if, if we're, if we you know, have a solutions development group that's working on a project, but they need support from the infrastructure team, you know, making sure that they're getting the support they need from the infrastructure team or vice versa. If the infrastructure team needs the, the solutions dev, dev folks to be building them some sort of a tool or modifying something or looking at some data, making sure that, that those kinds of resource sharing um, things are set. And that, you know, I think the, the biggest thing overall is helping people understand what the priorities are, heading, you know, setting priorities, yeah. helping people um, make sure that they're not getting caught up in low priority stuff that's, just a time waste. You know, I'm a yep. pretty firm believer in the 80-20 rule. 
And I think you got to get people kind of, you know, out of that sometimes because it's easy to get sucked down rabbit holes into the, 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 um, you know, spending 80% of your time on something that, you know, three grandmothers in Nebraska are going to be working on. So right. benefit from. Right. And what's, I mean, it, it, in these big, large organizations, uh, this is a leadership podcast. What are some of the leadership issues you ran into? Is there anything that stands out in your mind as a particularly difficult problem you had to solve? I think in, in large organizations, you know, it's really making sure that people are, everybody understands sort of what's their connection to the overall mission vision of the company. Are people living up to the values that the company is setting forth? Um, and when you, the larger you get, the harder that is to do. Um, culture is something that is absolutely critical for people to pay attention to. And it is a, um, it is something that leaders need to be very proactive about and be driving. What is the culture that I want this organization to have? And this organization could be the whole company or it could be your team. And it's making sure, you know, one of the big things I think people overlook is, is the importance of culture and culture, quite frankly, is also can be a tool if it's used appropriately, you're going to have a culture. Right. And it, it really, I look at it and say, is it something, is culture happening to you or are you, you know, guiding culture, creating the culture and guiding the culture and making sure that, you know, systems and behaviors and stories are perpetuating the culture that you want or are things just happening because you're not managing it and you're not being proactive about right. it? Super critical. Yeah. And um, what are the things that you, you look back on really caring about culture wise? I mean, was it happiness of your people? Was it work-life balance? Was it, you know, uh, something very specific, like we will hit 100% of our software goals 100% of the time? I mean, what kinds of things really mattered to you from a culture standpoint? You know, I think that we're in an interesting place right now because we have so many generations in the workplace and everybody kind of has their own thing. Um, I think millennials get thrown under the bus way too often. Hell um, yeah. I think that, um, you know, I've had, you know, I, I, if I say I had challenges with, you know, kind of myself kind of understanding what somebody's priorities were as an employee, you know, sometimes people would say, oh yeah, millennials. And I'd be like, no, that guy's 45. Um, you know, and he, he's not a millennial and, and I'm running into this kind of situation. I have to figure out what his priorities are, what he values. I think that, um, the, the cultural things I really want to make sure we got right were, you know, making sure that the the systems were aligned. And so you can end up with something really funny and goofy happening, like saying, you know, we value, um, you know, as an example, we may value, you know, customer experience and we want to make sure that, you know, the number one thing we have is customer experience. The number two thing we have is employee experience. Number three thing we have is, is, uh, you know, uh, profitability, something like that. You, you could set that up mm -hmm. and that, that, that kind of a thing is, is, you know, should be pretty common with companies being able to at least articulate what those things are. Yeah. And then you turn around and you look at like a bonus program and you're like, yeah, the whole bonus program is designed based on, you know, like profitability and there's nothing in here about, you know, employee experience or customer experience. And so making sure that those kinds of things are aligned is really critical. And I would like to say that happens all the time and it, it, it doesn't. Somebody has to be doing those checks and balances. Um, the things that are important to me personally, culturally, is 
I believe that most people today in an organization want to feel good about the organization that they work for Mm -hmm. and that there is some sort of opportunity to either give back or have some sort of socially redemptive quality about the work that you're doing. Um, Ah. That, that can be that you allow people to, you know, that maybe the company sponsors uh, an organization that does global good. I've had the opportunity to serve on the corporate leadership council for a really good organization called um, engineers without borders. Um, They, they do, they're, they're based on the doctors without borders model, but they're, they have um, uh, projects around the developing world focused on, you know, clean water, um, hygiene, sanitation, uh, some agricultural products, some transport, you know, mini transportation stuff. And when I say that, it's sort of like they might build a small bridge in a village so that the, when the cattle move from this field to that field, it doesn't disrupt the water mm-hmm. flow into the village, right? That is clean water mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stuff like yeah. that. They're doing, you know, it might be micro power, micro grid stuff, um, you know, solar, micro solar project, micro, micro wind projects, things like that to bring, you know, clean water, power, uh, those kinds of things to, you know, villages where they may not have either, you know, good sanitation mm-hmm. or water or power. Um, so I think that, you know, maybe, maybe the thing is that your company sponsors Engineers Without Borders or Ronald McDonald House Charities and you serve lunch once a month because your, your office just volunteers to serve lunch once a month there. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's that, you know, you do matching gifts to, you know, your favorite charity. And as long as it's a 501c3 that the company matches it, maybe it's that you're given, you know, four hours every two months to go volunteer and you're paid to do that. You don't have to take PTO or do it on Saturday. Right. So there's a lot of different ways you can structure that. Um, or maybe it's that the, the mission of the, you know, maybe, maybe your company says we're going to do pro bono work for these organizations um, and so it's, it's not necessarily that you're, you're, you know, you're getting time off or you're matching your money, but you're allowed to work on something maybe that's for, uh, uh, you know, the EWBs or Ronald McDonald house or whatever your, your favorite, your humane society and your, your community, you know, whatever that is. And so your company has, has said they're going to do that. So I think that yeah. today people need to feel good about that company, right? They need to have some pride. Um, in that. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I've always wrestled with is, um, uh, you know, that pride of company, you know, can, can take place in so many different little ways, right? You mean, even just making sure that everybody on your team has a, has a jacket or a backpack or something that has a company name and logo on it, right? I mean, just that, that you want to wear out when you're at the grocery store, or you have with you when you're traveling through that airport, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, you're not embarrassed at working at something. Like, there's been yeah, a number of right. companies lately that have shown up poorly in the news for various reasons. And, you know, I have the opportunity to interact with people who work for those companies and they're, they're having a hard time because, you know, they yeah. need to make a living. But it's, a, it's about yeah. more than that. It's about not being ashamed of where you work at the very least. That's not something that we've yeah. talked about on this show a lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you bring it up. It's, it's a real consideration and it's not just millennials who feel that way. Um, yeah. 
uh, okay, boomers, uh, is uh, <laughs> coming out a lot right. lately. But that's it. Seems like that's the big division where well, it used to be about mm-hmm. making the money, mm-hmm. about the success, TM. But now it's about a lot more than that because people are able to see the impact that their work has on the world. Yeah, right. totally. Right. Yeah, yeah. Wow, we are wow. We're we're cruising along here. Um, and I I want to make sure that we ask you <laughs> this question that we ask everyone. Um. Like we haven't talked a lot about your specific leadership uh, experiences with like particular instances of people or, you know, what it was like to grow from, go from not managing anyone to leading this, this team and then moving into a CIO role. Um, but what, uh, across this, like you didn't enjoy the kind of authority you had over people where you got to tell them when their bathroom breaks were and stuff, but what do you use your re- relationship with authority now? And how do you feel about having authority over people? And how do you feel about people having authority over you? Like, you know, your mm. CEO bosses or whatever, or the board. Yeah. I think that, you know, authority is sort of a necessary thing in, in organizations uh, that, that particularly are very large, you know, just because you, you get into these weird things, whether it's, you know, and I'm speaking kind of as both a CIO and a chief administrative officer, where you're just in charge of a lot of kind of corporate things, right? So, um, you know, I think first and foremost, you know, it's it's a little bit of a necessary evil in some ways, but I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, you, you run into things like, quite frankly, not everybody can, can go, you know, sign a lease on an office, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, we literally had people in one of my organizations sign leases on offices, <laughs> Um, they didn't have the authority to do that, but they did it anyways. And then, you know, <laughs> oh, I see. That's, oh my, that's bad, right? Um, so people kind of maybe bristle at the notion that why do you need authority? And it's like, well, people unfortunately sometimes do stupid shit, and so you got to deal with that. Um, I think the biggest thing around authority is it has to be aligned with accountability and responsibility, and um, you know, you you have to ensure that you're not being held responsible or held accountable for something if you don't have the authority to enact whatever is necessary to do those things. That seems to happen so much, doesn't it? It does. And so I think, you know, it's really being thoughtful around, you know, some organizations do this multiple ways. Some people use like racy matrices and things like that. There's just different ways to do it, but it's, it's all just at the end of the day, if you're being held accountable for something, then you actually have to have the authority to for the resources mm-hmm. to in, to make it happen. And I yeah. think that you know that's just kind of a quite frankly, it's like you brush your floss, you you know you you do these kinds of things on a daily basis. So, mm-hmm. and then yeah, and then um, the 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 relationship, like you said something about uh, it, you need to have accountability. What does that look like to you? Like when your when your leadership is accountable, how do you how do you prefer to see that? You know, I think that accountability is is um, is a tricky thing sometimes, and I've unfortunately seen it used in a context which is not how it was intended. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you know, it, it, at the um, at the end of the day, you as a leader have to be able to hold people accountable to do the things that you need them to do, and that you and that they said they were going to do. And if if it's uh, you know, that's where it gets kind of ugly sometimes. But the other side of that is, you you know, accountability also means that they get rewarded when they do the right things, and that when they're when they do when they do what they say they're going to do, and what you the organization needs them to do. So it's kind of double edged, right? It's it's both the reward side uh, as well as you know maybe the discipline side of things. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that that's 
that's a big piece of it. And then I think people unfortunately overlook the reward side of it. Yeah, it's true. That is definitely true. As an employee, I think, it, you know, that's that situation that we've probably all been in, right? But you're, you're looking at it and you're like, dude, I'm making my numbers. I'm doing this. Why, you know, why did I get a crappy raise? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did everything I said I was going to do. And I, you know, exceeded my targets. I exceeded my goals. And nobody's telling me, you know, why I got this crappy raise. And then I see people who didn't meet their targets, didn't meet their goals. And, you know, they're, they're getting either a better yeah. raise than I did or, or maybe, you know, maybe they still have a job and I don't know why, because, <laughs> because that's how far it's gotten. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think the thing for people to understand, you know, from a leadership perspective is, um, we're not omniscient and we don't know everything that's going on around us. And I think sometimes people think that we are right. There's stuff that goes on that we don't see. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not asking people to kind of, you know, narc out their buddies or anything, but at the same time, it's like, understand that we're people and uh, you know, we have faults and we're imperfect and just having conversations with us is probably the best way to let us know kind of what you're thinking. Cause oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't read your mind. There's a ton of unpacking there though, because of course you have to also be available and approachable and not terrifying. And that's really difficult. Absolutely. <laughs> it's difficult yeah. when you're way high yeah. up in the org, right? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I think one thing, because I just left an organization um, that I was at for almost 10 years, one thing that was super gratifying to me was um, in leaving, which was a really difficult decision because as everybody says, I mean, it's like the people, I'm going to miss the people. Um, one thing that was super gratifying though, was when word got out that I was leaving because I gave them like six weeks notice or something, um, that the number of emails and notes and phone calls I got from people saying, wow, you know, I heard you're leaving, you know, that's a, it's going to be a big loss for us. And, and thank you for spending the time with me, you know, um, doing this, or thank you for you know, the work you did for women in the organization, or thank you for this, you know, because I, I never, I, you know, I, I only came from a command and control environment and I didn't know that you could be a leader and not be command and control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciated the, the, the tone people had, but it was very interesting because I, I got just a lot of notes and cards and stuff from people out of left field Yay. sort of thanking me for being approachable. Um, Congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I, I was, it was really nice to get those. Cause it was like, I, to me, I don't, it, it wasn't, it's just sort of who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. But then I also know that there's folks who aren't approachable, who are just terrifying to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, and they rarely know it. They rarely they know don't. it. Yeah. 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 Well, so uh, Linda, we're, we're basically out of time, but uh, real quick, I mean, in like one to two minutes, what, what are you going to do on your <laughs> sabbatical time? Yeah, what are you going to do for fun? And also, after that, where can people find you on the internet? Right. So um, on the internet, I'm on LinkedIn. People can find me there. Um, okay. And uh, what I'm doing for fun, I actually just got back. So um, I left the, the day after my last day. I literally got on a plane for South Africa for Ooh. 17, 18 days. Um, and I just got back from South Africa. Had a fabulous time there. Did a safari. Did some drives along the garden route, spent some time in the wine country, spent some time in Cape Town. Um, Still kind of decompressing. I'm going to be spending some time. um, We are fortunate enough to own a house in the mountains here in Southern California Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, as well as on the coast. And so um, we're going to go up to the mountains for a little while tomorrow. And and I'm I'm hoping to just kind of 
decompress a bit and do some reading and thinking and journaling and, you know, mm-hmm. hoping to take a couple months off before I really have to think hard about hard things. <laughs> it's a good idea. Nine years is a long time. I tell you that from experience. <laughs> you yeah. need to decompress for a while. Well, thank I you do. so much for being on the show. This was really interesting. I wish we could have taken a longer time uh, to go through your, your circuitous and amazing and, and, you know, all over the place path to, to leadership. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Linda. Well, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.